Episode 89, Christine Handy, model, author, speaker, and breast cancer survivor. I didn't realize it was pride at the time, um, but when I figured out it was my ego that was tripping me up, then I got rid of it pretty quickly. I think we believe that we're helping other people by not asking for help. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, and more, for information about Christine's book, Walk Beside Me, go to markraven.com slash mistake89. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. My guest today is Christine Handy. She is a motivational speaker and author, and she is a breast cancer survivor. So before I tell you more about her, Christine, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, sure. Really excited to hear your story, and there's a lot we can talk about today. Um, to tell you a little bit more about Christine, she released her first book, Walk Beside Me, a fictional depiction of her illness and long road to recovery. Um, so a quick detour, when an author refers to their book as a first book, there's probably more books inside of you, you think? Yeah, I've already written another one. I just haven't published it yet. Okay, so there you go. That was uh, yeah. Not a mistaken guess on, oh, on my good. part. So that's great. Um, so uh, Christine was an accomplished model who began her career at the age of 11 in her hometown of St. Louis. And so through her career, she's done campaigns for notable brands uh, such as Guest, J. Crew, J.C. Penney, Bud Light, Pepsi, Petco, and Target. So that's, that's quite a range that you got to work with. And um, after her diagnosis, um, again, Christine is a breast cancer survivor. Um, she now aims to serve as a spokesperson, speaker, and ambassador for cancer-related causes. So um, again, thank, well, and thank you for that um, advocacy work, of course. And again, thank you for being here on the podcast. Awesome. Excited. So as we normally do here, I'll kind of jump right in and, and ask, you know, Christine, looking back, what is your favorite mistake? What was it? Well, I had to think about that for a while because I've made a lot of mistakes, but I think the best mistake I ever made was quitting on myself. Have you ever uh, had that before? <laughs> I've, you know, I've had some guests, um, I'm sure your story will be unique. I, I've had a guest oh, yeah. who, who said they didn't believe in themselves and uh, right. you know, that, that's different than quitting on themselves, I guess. So what, what led you to that conclusion so, that you quit on yourself? So when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had been very dependent on my looks and I used my value in the external world, right. To my, to help my modeling career. And so I was very dependent on that. I was very dependent on the external world. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, at that point I had just come off with a year of a bad doctor and a fused arm. And I was looking into my life, like, how am I going to move forward with a fused arm? What does that look like? And how am I going to raise my children? And how am I going to drive a car? And you know, what, that had so many questions. And then I was diagnosed with cancer and I thought, there's no way I'm getting through this. Because when the oncologist said I had 28 rounds of chemo, I thought, well, I'm not going to ask for help. My friends and family had just used, I used up all the tokens for my friends and family with this year of arm issues. And so I'm never going to be able to ask for help because I had too much pride. And so I, I have to quit. 
and I didn't know whether I was going to get through cancer or not. So it was at least in my control, like how I went out and, and I started to tell people, you know, I, I didn't, I don't want you to think that you could have done something, but I'm, I'm not fighting. I'm quitting and it's nothing about you, but this is too big of a road and too big of a mountain to climb and I'm not willing to do it. And, and so once I, once, I mean, I really believed that though, I was determined that I was not going to move forward and, and it wasn't a cry for help. It was really just a becoming right of what I controlled, what I was able to control and what I was able not to control. And so when I quit and I started to speak about it, my friends and my family said, no, not only will we never forsake you, but God will never forsake you. And they kept showing up. Even when I was quitting, they kept showing up. People kept showing up. They, they made calendars to, for somebody to be at my house every day. And so ultimately I was all in cause they were all in. And when I lost, you know, I went, ultimately I lost my myself, my pride, my ego, and, and succumbed to the fact that I needed help. And it was, I was able to ask for help. That's when, that's when my life changed forever. And so significantly, you know, when people, when people show up, they say to you, we believe in you. And then when people start to believe in you, then you can take that and run with it and start to believe in yourself. And that's what I did. And I realized that my value wasn't dependent on the external. It was really only dependent on what was inside. And slowly I started to figure out who I was and what mattered in life. And it wasn't the bags that I was no longer able to carry. And it wasn't the stuff and it wasn't people pleasing. Um, it was the life. It was the, the bonds that I was making. It was the, the value I put into serving other people and sharing my story and my journey. And so I feel like, for me, when I really quit my life, ultimately, uh, it catapulted me into where I am now, which is a public speaker. I have a best-selling book out. My book's being made into a film. And it was that loss of self, um, which ultimately became, gave me the opportunity to be incredibly vulnerable about my life. And that's what changed. I had such a big paradigm shift in my life that that's what really changed the course of my life. Hmm. Wow. So and it seems like, you know, going back, you know, what you're, you're telling of the story, Christine, it seemed like there were kind of two pivotal moments. One that occurred where you, you, you didn't feel comfortable anymore asking for help or receiving yes. help after you went through with your arm. And then the second point was sort of coming around to realizing that it was okay to accept that help. Like then going back to the first yeah. Do, do you know, was it, was this just sort of a gradual thing as you were going through the situation with your arm where, where you were starting to feel bad about accepting that help? Um, you know, I, I think what happened with me was I was, I was a model for a long, long time. And that dependency on external value uh, started to chip away my self-esteem. And when I had the incident with the doctor who I chose to have surgery with, when he started to bully me, um, because there was something really wrong with my arm after the surgery and he just didn't want to take responsibility. And so he basically said, you know, the pain and the swelling is in your head and I have no response. I have no responsibility for this. And, and I, you know, for many months believed him. And, and so I think it was a, a gradual self-esteem unraveling. And so by the time I was diagnosed with cancer, I just didn't have any assurance in myself. I didn't feel like I had any value to this world. And it was all because I had just let my self-esteem go and just let it, allowed it to get chipped away until it was just non-existent. 
And I don't think that we, we realize it that we're, that's happening when we're going through it. But I think if we were to step back and really take, um, an aerial view of our lives, I even do this on a day-to-day basis. Now I step back and go, okay, where are you stumbling? It's in that stepping back where we can really see, um, the roads that we're not meant to be on. And so I, I try to talk about my story as much as I can, because I think it can help so many people, you know, where we trip ourselves up with our pride and our ego and our shame and, um, and lack of self-love. And the other thing that I think is so critical is we get allowed, um, we get, we expect people to do things for us, like nurture our self-esteem. And when our expectations change and we go, no, I don't need you to do that. I need to do that for me. It releases, right? And, and it takes all that pressure off ourselves. And so the people, the dependence on the people and the dependence on the beauty and the dependence on the material things, it just goes away. And there's a, there's a shift and you become dependent on helping and serving. And that, that ultimately is a self-esteem nurturer as well. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate that it sounds like the doctor you had dealt with um, through his actions was, was, was damaging your self-esteem where, you know, you, you realize you, you have actual pain and there are circumstances for that to be denied is um, really unfortunate. You know, I mean, I, in, in my day job, I spent a lot of time focused on, um, working to prevent what's often framed as patient safety or patient harm. You know, I had a guest um, recently, Dr. David Mayer, who's with um, the National Patient Safety Movement Foundation. And you know, a lot of times we think of that harm as being physical. Um, a surgeon cuts into the wrong side of a patient or right. a patient gets an infection while they're in the hospital. It sounds like what you went through is, was, was a form of uh, emotional harm, if, if that's not too strongly stated. No, I mean, he, we ultimately sued him. I have a fused arm because of him, his, his, his negligence. And I did have an infection the whole time. He told me I had RSD and I didn't, he told me I had, um, he told me literally that I was a hysterical housewife and that the pain was in my head. Quite literally, those were his words. Yikes. And so when I ultimately went to see a second opinion and the doctor took one x-ray and every bone in my wrist was broken and it had dropped into a pile on the base of my arm all of my bones. And he said, you know, this is, this could have been prevented. And of course it could have been, it was, it was an infection that was eating away my arm for seven months. And so it was just a colossal, um, tornado. Right. And then ultimately my arm was fused and bone grafted and had cadaver bones. And I ultimately had another, um, I had a cadaver Achilles tendon put in to just to cushion some of the pain. And, um, after that happened, I was up in New York City getting my six-week checkup from my surgeon in New York. Ultimately, I went to HSS, which is a hospital in New York, um, or one of the best orthopedic hospitals in the world, really. And so I went up there to fix the damage, so to speak. And I was up there in a hotel um, waiting to go to my appointment, and I was trying to take a shower. And for the past several months, when I was home, I would just pour liquid soap over my shoulder and let it wash down my body because I had all these casts. So I, my arm was out of the shower. And so I was at the hotel. I called down to the front desk. I said, I need liquid soap. And they said, no, we don't have any. Use a bar of soap. So I kept my arm out of the shower and I tried to use a bar of soap and wash my body. And I found, I washed my breast for the first time in months and I found a lump immediately. Oh, gosh. And three days later, I was diagnosed with cancer. So it was just, it was a colossal nightmare. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, bad news upon bad news. 
Yeah. So how do you go from there, right? Well, and so you figured that out, right? So back the, the, the next pivotal point of, um, I guess, you know, putting, as you know, you use the word pride, putting the pride aside right. and accepting help. Was, was that also gradual or was there a, a pivotal moment? I didn't realize it was pride at the time. Um, but when I figured out it was my ego that was tripping me up, then I got rid of it pretty quickly. But I think that we don't, I think we, I think we believe that we're helping other people by not asking for help when I think it's ultimately a self-esteem issue. And so when I was able to differentiate between the two and able to ask for help, knowing that I wasn't putting people out, it was actually a blessing in their life to ask for help because they wanted to walk the journey with me. And I was basically cutting them out of a beautiful season in my life, even though it was a season after season of despair and trauma. They were, they weren't worried about that. You know, my friends and my family use their resource and their time and you know, their ability to comfort and take me and share on the journey with me. And that wasn't, that wasn't a problem for them, but I, but I thought it would be a problem for them. And it was my misinformation, misunderstanding that caused me to really fight, you know, not fight for my life until ultimately I did. It sounds like, um, you know, there's maybe a category of mistakes where we self-censor instead of making requests and, Having yeah. the possibility of being told no, we tell ourselves no, and we don't even ask. Right. I mean, I think of yeah. that in workplace scenarios. Um, a time recently where I almost self-censored, and mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't because I was afraid. Like, well, if I ask, if I make this request, I might be told no. Right. But then I realized, well, if I get told no, okay, fine. That's the same situation I was in um, right. without asking. But that, but that can be difficult. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think a lot of us are very dependent on outside approval. Right. And so for me, I definitely was. And when that gets taken, when you realize when you mature basically out of that, your life can really shift. And that fortunately happened to me. I'm not really, I don't care what other people think of me. And that's very freeing. That is. And I'm, I'm if, half jokingly, I'm going to ask the listeners, please rate and review the podcast because there, <laughs> there's, there's, I will admit to looking to that external validation, but, uh, um, I want Christine, if you can tell us, um, I'm curious then what led to the book, um, walk beside me and it's a fictionalized version. So I'm curious to hear the story of taking on that project and then why, t- why taking that approach of fictionalizing it? Well, I felt like I, I was in such an extreme situation with the arm. Like I had a fused arm at 41, you know, I didn't know anybody with a fused arm. And even my doctor in New York said, we don't fuse women's men's arms at 41. That's a last resort. And then to be diagnosed with breast cancer on top of that, I thought this is pretty extreme. And then to have people show up for me and continually show up for me season after season. And for my paradigm shift, right. To go from a very self-involved and kind of, I wouldn't say just self-involved, right. Um, to very selfless person. And I think that shift was important for people to realize. And I knew that I was able to tell the story. I knew that I was going to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to share it. And so I figured, you know, after watching lots of Bravo and lots of TV during chemotherapy, I witnessed a lot of people tearing each other down on TV and networks and and films and, and shows. And I thought, you know, my story isn't that my story is about women carrying each other. And I think this needs to be shown to our world. And the other reason I wrote the book was because there weren't a lot of 
books on stories about breast cancer. There were a lot of self-help books, but there wasn't a tale, right? There wasn't a, there wasn't storytelling as much. There, there is a little bit now. And I, I, I think there was a space for that. And, and, and a woman needed to hear, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly and the hope, right? And so that's, those are the two reasons I wrote it. And I, I'm actually, I mean, obviously I'm very glad I wrote it because it gave me a platform to share my story. And the only reason it's not self-serving, my platform to share my story isn't about me. It's about helping other people realize that maybe they were in the situation that I was in and maybe I can change their plight. Right. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, um, <laughs> it's what, I'm sorry. Get a second opinion, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. don't listen to the bully doctor. You know, there's so many messages in my story that can help other people. Yeah. That's why I was going to ask those key takeaways and those lessons. So um, any, any others beyond the two that you mentioned there? I think that women are powerful united. And I think we're so, we're so sparse and, and when we're not united and it can do so much damage either way. You know, it's like, I feel, you know, when, when my friends really showed up for me, it changed my life. It saved my life. And I, I try to preach that a lot because we can change each other's lives. We have that ability and just, and showing up for people. If you look at, if you read articles about suicide, you will read that just one text message to somebody that's about to take their life stops them. And so it's really that simple, a, a text message, a call, a FaceTime, an email, anything, just any sort of reaching out. And when I was going through cancer, I would have people, I had a lot of people show up for me. And so there are people in my community that I lived in who said, oh, after I was finished, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to stop by, but it looked like you were taken care of. People were there for you. And I said to them, thank you. But if you see somebody else like that in the future, just knock on their door, give them a call. It's It's, it's another example of not self-censoring. Yeah, because you there's not a, there's not, there's not a good measure to how much we need, right? Who's to say? And so the more people that reached out to me, the better that my self-esteem got and the better my life got. So having a couple extra neighbors pitch in, that might've helped more, you know? So I want people to show up for people because it's that critical. Having help is not yes, no, it's a matter of how much. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before, I guess, you know, no kind of serious question related to the book, but um, before that, you know, when you talk about something being made into a movie, it's kind of the classic question. Then I assume the protagonist is modeled after yourself. Who would you want to play you in that movie then? I'm a big fan of Jamie King's. Um, she's a former supermodel, but an actress, TV. Well, she's a film actress and also a TV actress. And she's she's just a tough woman. I, I don't I obviously don't know her. Um, but she, she fits the, she fits the role and, uh, and she's also fits the, the age. So it has to be somebody between 38 and 41. And so she fits all the boxes for me, but I'm not in charge of that. I don't get to pick. (laughs) Okay. No, I'm saying if you could pick though, I I would pick Jamie King. Hopefully whoever they end up casting doesn't turn out to be a mistake. That might not be a favorite. Right. No. Yeah. But um, but back to the, you know, the more serious topic around um, the story and, and the book um, earlier, you talked about self-esteem. And I was curious, you know, maybe if you have you elaborate on that of nurturing that in in, yeah. in, your, in ourselves. Um, you, you, you talk on, on, on your website about working on this every day. What can you can you share more about why that's so important and why the everyday piece? 
Yeah, I work on mine every day because I can fall back into the trap of not feeling very good about myself. And I know that about myself. And so I, you know, I, in my daily walk, I listen to certain podcasts and I, on social media, I watch certain people because they fill my soul with uplifting messages about, um, being worthy. And, 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 and so I gravitate towards that content. If I didn't actively pursue that, my self-esteem would waver. And so, you know, I, I think self-esteem is like a muscle, like you have to work it out. You know, you work out your muscles at a gym, you go for walks, you, you know, I'm, I'm in school, I'm getting my master's degree in creative writing and literature at Harvard. So I'm working on my brain, right? I, there's space in every day of my life where I can work on my self-esteem and it's, I think it's critical. And as, that's something I've never, I've never thought of it that way of thinking of it as um, a muscle that it yeah. may atrophy. It definitely does. Work, yeah. It doesn't, it may not may, it, it does. And the other thing is you have to remind yourself of what you're feeding your brain. And I'm not talking about food necessarily. I'm talking about the voices you listen to and including your own. You know, for me that I, I trip myself up sometimes and I'll be like, you know, I, darn it. I can't believe you just said that. And then I say to myself, really? Like, give yourself some grace. You know, you're not perfect. And, and so it's like self-talk and self-love. And, and I want to listen to people that are uplifting. I don't want fluff, but I want to listen to people that have some real meat on their stories and, and, and are honest. And, and that's the other thing about self-esteem, self-esteem and, and social media I think it's such a, a problem in our society because even I do this. We put our best face forward, right? We put our best pictures out there to, in order for people to read what's underneath, right? And so I'll, I'll, I will occasionally say to people, okay, I'm putting my best picture out there because I want you to, I want to grab you. But what I really want you to do is read what's underneath. And so don't think for one second that that picture is reality, right? Because it's not. You know, I've edited it and the lighting and the whatever. And, and so I just try to be really honest about that because especially young people, they're looking at us as models and say, not literally models, but, you know, models of, you know, in, in our society and influencers or whatever speakers. And they're looking at us for, you know, to teach. And I want to be very truthful about that. Um, one other question for you, Christine, um, I know important Topic for you is um, the you know the idea of questioning authority. I guess whether that's a doctor, like to some doctors, you know, asking for a second opinion, they may feel like you're questioning their quote unquote authority. Even though I'm, I might argue, well, no, it's your right, it's your duty to ask for a second opinion. So I, I don't know, you know, uh, if you have something more to share about speaking up within healthcare, or, or is there a more general point that you like to share about questioning authority? Um, you know, I I was taught I'm I'm 50, so I was taught when I was young, that I shouldn't question authority. And it wasn't just inside my home that I was taught that. It was society taught me that. And I don't claim that everybody was taught that, but for me, it had an impact on my life. And I really didn't question authority for a long time. And I got manipulated and bullied. And obviously now I live in constant pain because of my arm. And and so I, I like to speak about questioning authority because it's not, you're right, it is a right one. And it's not, it's not insulting a person to do that. And that's their pride and ego getting in the way. And if we, and if they, if we sense that they're doing that, then you should definitely question their authority. Ah, yeah, that's, um, 
a good point. And I'm, I'm guessing some of that came from your experience with the physician. If you're, if you're pushing back and they're getting dismissive or attacking you instead yeah. of really reflecting on their work and the impact that had on you. Yeah. That, that does yeah. seem like a red flag. But, but I mean, there's, that even happens with, in, within friendships, within families, you know, people are, can be very bullish. And for a long time, I just allowed it and didn't speak up. Or when I spoke up, if I was put in my place or told to stay in my lane, I did until I was faced with life and death. And that's when I didn't do that anymore. I said, no more. I'm not going to be pushed around. My voice matters. My life matters. And I'm going to take care of myself. And part of taking care of myself is questioning authority. Well, Christine, I'm glad. Well, for one, thank you for coming on and sharing the story. You know, um, secondly, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that you are in the survivor um, category and, you know, that, that sharing your story. You know, if there's anybody listening now um, who is, is struggling with similar thoughts, I'm sure what you've shared um, you know, here today and in the book um, is yeah. inspiring and helpful. So thank you on all those counts. Um, our guest has been Christine Handy. Um, again, her book is Walk Beside Me, and that's, um, that's available. Um, so I hope people will go check that out, and uh, we'll keep our eye out for, uh, for the movie. <laughs> Great. It's called Willow the Feature Film. Willow the Feature, the feature film. film. Yeah. Okay. So this is very much in the works then. Oh, yes. Yes. It's been um, a couple years in the works. And I they were supposed to start filming last March, but because of COVID, they didn't. And yeah. so we think maybe this summer. Well, we'll look forward to things getting more back to normal and yeah, they'll, they'll get back to work on that. So I'm um, Christine. Thank you so much. It was really nice meeting you and thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Christine Handy for being our guest today. For links, show notes, and more information about her and her work, go to markraben.com slash mistake89. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.